Welcome, change agents. I'm so glad you're here. This is Cheryl Klein, and you're listening to the Limitless Leader Podcast. Hey there, Cheryl here. Today is an extremely special day because it is not that often that I have the honor of interviewing a friend, but also someone who has been so impactful in the work in the workplace, excuse me, for such a long time. Amy Benzel, welcome, and I am so glad that you're here. Oh, thank you, Cheryl. I'm happy to be here. So Amy and I have known each other not to date ourselves, but since our 20-somethings were, I don't know, five or six years old on the playground. So it's been amazing to follow your career journey. And I just, before we get started, I really want to honor all of the success that you have and continue to see at Autodesk. Oh, thank you. It's also been great for me to see how you've evolved um, your career over the same time period as well. Yes, yes. It's been pretty fast and furious, that's for sure. And I also want to mention that you can probably see that Amy is Executive Vice President of Engineering Design Solutions at Autodesk. And before we jump in and get started with some gems of wisdom that you are going to share that I am so excited, um, but can you tell us where your journey got started? In In other words, a little bit about your story why you got started, uh, how you got started at you know Cornell or earlier, and what kept you going as a woman in technology? Because it's certainly not a cakewalk or not super easy right now, but I can only imagine that when you got started, you were probably pretty used to being the only. <laughs> yes, that is true. So I am, um, you know, in high school, I had a guidance counselor who knew I was good at math and science and suggested I go into engineering and I thought that was a great idea. I didn't really know what it entailed, but it turned out to be a great fit for me. So I studied electrical engineering at Cornell. And while I was there, I think more than anything, I learned a lot about time management, critical thinking, problem solving, skills that really have served me well over over the years. I I didn't work as an electrical engineer for very long. I did that job for about two years and realized pretty quickly that you know, being in the lab and designing um, hardware, I worked for a defense contractor, wasn't really what gave me um, passion, what I felt passionate about. Instead, I liked working with the people. So I quickly gravitated over to roles where I was um, kind of managing programs and supporting engineers in using different kinds of software and getting their outcomes. And so one thing I often share is that the first 10 years of my career, you know, I didn't I didn't have a plan. I mean, looking back, it makes a lot of sense. But going forward, you know, every couple of years I would change jobs, mostly because I got bored um, a couple of times because I got laid off or the company company closed down. But during each of those positions, I learned something about myself and what I liked to do and what I didn't like to do. And so I ended up I'm finally ending up working in software and being a sales applications engineer. So I it was a great job because I got to go talk to all the customers and try to figure out how to use our software to solve their problems. Then in 1996, I started a company with some people I was working with, and we got acquired by Autodesk after running the company for about nine years. And so in 2003, I joined Autodesk. It was, for me, a great point in my career to work in a bigger organization and be able to take advantage of a lot of the leadership development and other great people that work there. So, and even at Autodesk, I kept growing and changing and, and uh, taking on different roles as well. Yeah, and I wanna highlight something that you said that's really important, especially for emerging leaders, that you didn't graduate from college and have a straight trajectory of success from A to B or from A to where you are now. 
there were some twists and turns in the road and you know it was just a matter of disco discovering what you were passionate about and that is absolutely okay and also to you know to also understand sometimes you have to have those you know those first jobs and positions and just to really understand what you like and what you don't like and um you know i often talk to young people who want think that have a, a lot of anxiety about getting the perfect first job and and really it's get a first job and then you know grow and learn from there and and be excited about what you can learn even if what you learn is that that was not a good job for you that's still a huge huge accomplishment and a great you know piece of feedback that you can then use to get to get the next role and think about what might what might be more fulfilling for you yeah and clearly it's not going to hold you back from being executive vice president no, and, and to some extent, I think it's the diverse experiences that I had outside of Autodesk and then within Autodesk that put me in a good position to do my role today. Yeah, so that's fantastic. And I want to ask you a couple questions because I know about Autodesk that they've been very proactive. And one thing that I've been hearing lately on either being on DNI panels or coaching executives in this space is that there's an increased level of awareness now but not everybody is super happy with the progress and it seems like autodesk is really being proactive here can you share what autodesk is doing to create a more diverse workplace absolutely so you know i think like many of our peer companies you know we believe that it, not only is it the right thing to do to create a more diverse workplace, but there's so much data and research out there showing that it's also a business imperative. Um, if I pulled up some studies from Fortune, Great Place to Work, and Gallup, and you know, companies who are committed to DNI, they they see 24% higher year-over-year -year revenue growth. Companies with inclusive cultures, and I think culture is really important, and we should come back and talk about that. They're six times more likely to be agile and innovative. And inclusive cultures have 22% less turnover, thanks to increased morale, opportunity, and equity. So we looked at, you know, we benchmarked against a lot of companies, and we looked to see, you know, what were things that that Autodesk, where were we falling behind, where do we need to catch up, and where were we doing doing fairly well? I will say one area where we're doing fairly well is on our board. Um, our board is, I think it's 50/50 men and women. We have um, we have a, a fairly new board member who is um, a black woman from Georgia Tech who's about to become the Dean of Engineering and Architecture at um, The Ohio State University. So we definitely started at the top of the company. The CEO staff is quite diverse. But when we looked at the whole company, we saw really that for women, both in tech and in sales, we had we had some work to do. So in terms of solving that problem, you know, you can solve it one partially by hiring. And so, you know, we've definitely got programs in place so that we get you know, a diverse slate of candidates whenever we're hiring for roles. We also are um, starting to look at our intern program and our early career hiring and making sure that we're going to the historically black colleges and universities and other schools that have a good diverse population for the roles that we're hiring. So those have been really important initiatives. But the one that I'm most excited about is we're investing a lot in belonging. So, you know, it's one thing to try to solve the problem, you know, by hiring people from some of these diverse backgrounds, but you also have to look at your current population and, and see if you have a, a leaky bucket is how I think about it. You know, you're putting a lot of people in, but if you're losing more than you're adding, you're never gonna, you're never gonna get ahead. So we look at, you know, attrition um, across the different populations within the company and try to understand, you know, are, are we losing, you know, women faster than we're losing men? We look at our engagement survey where we measure, um, 
feelings of belonging and inclusion. And we want to make sure that that everyone in the company is having a good experience. But we also want to look to see, you know, are there teams or locations where we see discontinuities there and invest there. So as a result of some of that, we have we're doing something called a belonging sprint. So as part of our culture programs, about twice a year, we have a pretty big company-wide effort where we focus on one area of our culture. And we are all, as a company, um, having um, lots of different development opportunities right now around belonging. Because if a, you know, you can, um, it's different. It's different to feel included than it is to, you know, to be included versus to feel like you really belong. And we want want all our employees to, you know, feel feel heard and feel like you know they they belong um, at the company and can really have a big impact at Autodesk. And I'm really glad that you brought that up because diversity is an important piece of the puzzle, but it's certainly not the only piece of the puzzle and inclusivity is huge. And um, so I love that, you know, the way that you're explaining the belonging sprint to focus on different populations. And also that way too, that it seems like other diverse populations can also help whatever diverse population that the focus is on at that given moment and that it eventually all comes around. And that is just so important. So I really wanna honor you guys for doing that and really setting the stage because we're gonna talk also about today of how to transform business during disruptive times. And this is really a great springboard to that because you know, from a, a personal development perspective, a high performance perspective. And if I look at the last 40 years of human performance research, if we can get people to be intrinsically motivated and tap into that, then that's when magic happens. That's when mountains are moved. And so I would think, and it's also the research is coming out that if we can really connect with people, not just to have, you know, have a more diverse workplace, but also to make them feel included and allow them to tap into not just what they deserve but also how they can leave the workplace maybe even you know for the next generation something bigger than themselves that can be incredibly powerful and i think it's going to be super vital especially after coming off the year that we've had um of disruption and going into you know another year that you know there's light at the end of the tunnel but we're not there yet so it's those intrinsic motivators that you're really firing up at Autodesk that is probably at least in, in addition to amazing products, part of the success puzzle that you guys had, you know, during um, a crazy year when a lot of companies have been struggling. It's, it's an interesting point about the intrinsic motivation. One of the, I mean, one of the reasons why I've stayed at Autodesk for so long is because of what our customers do. I mean, they are, if, if something is built in the world, chances are an Autodesk customer was involved in it in some way. And if I think about a lot of the challenges that society faces, and if, if we look at just some of the um, disruptions we've had with with water and infrastructure in the last, you know, in the last few months and climate change, there's a lot of work that Autodesk customers are doing to try and, you know, solve some of these problems and for our employees knowing that the work they're doing is enabling our customers to to really imagine a whole new possible is really rewarding for them yeah and i think even combined with that by by autodesk saying we see you and we value you for who you are yep. oh my gosh that's just when like you know magic happens so um i wish you all that continued you know success and for doing all those things right 
Um, now, going forward into, you know, despite this, I, I imagine that everything hasn't, wasn't easy, you know, in the prior year, and you probably have some big demands and challenges laying ahead. So what is, you know, a way that, you know, can you share any tips or strategies for really um, transforming business during a time of really immense disruption? Yeah, I, it's been quite a journey over the last 12 months, that's for sure. So a, a couple things come to mind. I think we, we've all probably read the articles that talk about, you know, having boundaries and how you manage your workday, um, you know, taking time to recharge, whether it's going for a walk or exercising. Um, but, but the ones I want to focus on are actually things that um, we help support our employees directly and, and indirectly. I, um, a couple of things we did was um, we've had over a half a dozen one-time company holidays. Like whenever we felt that the stress was just really building up, we would um, really take a look at the calendar and, and pick a few days that would just tell people, you know, the whole company took off. And in my entire career, like the entire company being off on the same day is, is pretty amazing in terms of being able to, to recharge. And so people really appreciated that. And then um, we also started changing some of our um, wellness programs and giving people more um, opportunities to use um, some benefits more flexibly again. So whether they wanted to support their, you know, physical health, emotional health, do hobbies, um, we that kind of gave them another another outlet. But I think most importantly, what we did a lot of is we over communicated nonstop. You know, um, what happened maybe once a month was happening once a week. Really to reach out to employees to let them know that as leaders, we were you know, paying attention to what was happening um, internally and externally, you know, as a leader having to comment on a lot of the just unprecedented unrest that happened around the world, you know, independent of, of the virus. So it was um, kind of an always on for us, but in return, gosh, the teams were so appreciative that we really were paying attention to the things that were impacting, you know, their ability to, to, to feel good about what they were doing. Yeah, and I just really want to honor you for doing that because a lot of times those conversations are uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. um, they're not fun to have, and it's a lot easier not to have them, quite frankly. But I think you're really seeing the payoff when it comes to loyalty and your colleagues, their ability to be sustainable high performers because there is something that I was reading about called emotional tax. And a lot of times that we don't understand what others are dealing with. And in particular, if you're um, in a group that's marginalized, you know, we don't, we haven't been in their shoes. So we might not understand exactly what they're experiencing, especially during these incredible times of, you know, turmoil and grief and all the things that happened last year. So um, again, making people feel seen and heard is so important. And so thank you for bringing that up. Now, I have a question. I have to ask you a question about mindset just to tie, tie us together, um, being the mental toughness and high performance coach. And so what mindset has really either allowed you or, you know, kept you going being a women in technology for the last you know, we're the same age, so I'm not going to say how long because I don't want to give it away. <laughs> um, but for the last while, how, how, what mindset has kept you going and what do you, what can you share that'll probably serve, you know, emerging leaders? So uh, I would say for me, a, a couple things. things. Um, if I look back on my career, there were a couple of, 
I think transformative moments that where I had to decide how I what kind of leader I wanted to be. I think the the first point was when I became um, the first time I was a people manager, which is an interesting transition. You often go from you know having a group of peers to then having them all report to you in some cases. And so, thinking about you know how I was going to to lead and manage people and create create a good environment where people could do their best work was was something I was very intentional about. And then I am every time I end up leading a new team or or building a team. And then the other was when I. The first time I went from managing a domain and I was a product manager, so moving from product management to manage the whole development organization, um, and really to to think about how um, you know I can't do and have never done the work of most of the people on my team. So how can I add value to what they're doing, um, you know, without getting into the micromanaging and and being quite frankly unhelpful because I'm not the best person to make those decisions or you know think about those. Um, aspects of the project. So so those were points where I really had to to evolve my leadership style. But but the big theme really theme throughout the whole thing was what was I doing to enable others? That's you know one of the things that motivates me. And I think for any leader emerging or um, and I'm still emerging I think in many ways um it's to think about like what's your North Star and what really motivates you and try to stay true to that as you as you navigate through your career, because there'll be twists and turns along the way, um, but knowing what what you know really is you know in your in your heart about things is good. Yeah, that's good to know. What what it it seems like you're saying too that it's important to be a little bit vulnerable, especially when you start managing teams and teams of experts that um, honestly will help you to be great, and you need to give them some autonomy to do so. But that does take some vulnerability in raising your hand and saying, I do have a blind spot here. Mm -hmm. that I am not an expert in everything. So maybe some vulnerability has really served you along the way. And then really feeling, um, doing, taking the time and space to evaluate what, you know, what type of leader you are and to really mm -hmm. build the courage to stay true to that, because that'll probably guide you to, you know, guide you through your um, career path. Absolutely. So if if you were to leave the listeners with a couple gems of wisdom, what would you advise them, especially as at the time as we're recording this, you know, we're in uh, March of 2021. So we're in year two of the pandemic. Like I said, there seems to be light at the end of the tunnel. We're not certainly not out of the woods. So when it comes to transforming business during disruptive times, what would you leave people now as they look into the future? Well, the one thing that's on my mind a lot is how do we, as we think about going back to our offices someday, maybe in the not so distant future, how do we think, how do, what do we want out of that environment? I think we've learned a lot over the last 12 months that a lot of people can be really effective working from home. But I think many of us are missing the human connection and some of the spark and collaboration and innovation that comes from that. So what I think about is how can we ensure kind of the right amount of flexibility so that people, you know, people who um, want to spend more time in the office can, people who need to come in for collaboration periods can, but we don't, we don't sort of just by default go back to the old way of doing things just because they're available again. Um, I think our employees, and I know I myself personally have appreciated, you know, getting a couple hours of my day back from not having to commute to San Francisco all the time. But um, 
but I know I also want to go, you know, into the office and, and interact with my colleagues. So that's a long way of saying, I don't think we have all the answers for what the workplace is going to be like when we go back, but we want, you know, great outcomes for our employees and we want to, you know, work with everybody to create a good flexible environment there. Yeah, and do you think that, uh, are you speaking to senior leaders who are making these decisions or do you think it's important for, you know, emerging leaders and everyone else to have a voice as to how they could possibly work most effectively. I absolutely, you know, that I, I'll add to that, that um, making sure that the people around you and, you know, your leadership know, kind of knows sort of um, maybe what you're, I just had a career conversation with someone the other day about this. You know, if you're in a mood, in a mode, like where you can be, you know, 200%, you know, make sure that you're, company, your team knows that and can can take advantage of you. If you're in a in a phase where you can be 95%, that's okay too. But you know, make sure that you're having good dialogues with your with your manager or whoever's assigning your work around around that. So that everybody can be you know doing their best based on what's going on. I mean I think we learned that in this whole experience that you know we're we're always a blend of work and home, even if you know, even if we're working from the office or not. And so I feel there's a lot more empathy and understanding. And also people are doing great work because they they have a lot of flexibility and they can make, you know, make the choices that they need to. So, um, so yeah, the other thing I would add is that, um, you know, don't be shy about what you're interested in doing in the future. I think that's, that's a great thing to think about. You don't have to have a roadmap of your whole career, but thinking about what next skill you want to learn or what next type of opportunity you might want or what other jobs look interesting to you having those conversations with, you know, whether it's a coach or a mentor or your manager can be really fulfilling in that it, it just lets people know, hey, you're open and you're interested in, in something different should it come along. Yeah, and I want to highlight that as well, because as we know, you know, there's a lot of studies out there that say actually men are more likely to do that, even if they're not qualified. Um, not qualified, I should say not qualified yet, which is great, because you don't need to be qualified. Um, you can show some interest and then, you know, learn. And then, um, but, and women are tend to be, you know, not to make this generalization, but the research is there to prove it, is that women, they need all the boxes checked. And so what I'm hearing is you do not need all the boxes checked. If something is interesting and you're passionate about it or curious about it, you know, raise your hand, start talking about it, start applying for things and just really go after it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I think curious is a good, is everybody should be curious because it's, um, I think it, um, it, it's a way that you can figure out how to grow, right? Because if you just stay in your comfort zone and do, you know, what you already are expert at, you're not going to grow and develop. So I think that curiosity and a little bit of risk taking really helps a lot of people thrive. Yeah. And I just want to add one small thing to that is it, you know, as human beings, we're creatures of comfort and we might put our toe outside into that, um, you know, outside of our comfort zone, but a lot of times it's very important to align ourselves with someone, like you said, whether it's a coach or a mentor or a colleague or something that's really going to push you and really going to tell you to go for it because, and I know it certainly happened to me because us coaches have coaches too, but sometimes we just need a little, you know, nudge or a big kick in the, you know, where to just, to just take off to say i believe in you, you got this you can do this because a lot of times people that have achieved certain levels of success you know someone believed in them before they believed in themselves so that was so valuable what you just shared so 
Amy, thank you so much for taking the time out of your very busy schedule. Keep up all of your amazing work. I look forward to things getting back to normal. So hopefully we can get together at some point soon. And here's your continued success. Thank you.